with us once again. Get your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12. 1928. It's an old illustration. <laughs> 1928, Southern California played Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl. And at that game, there was an event that made sports history. There was a fumble on the field, and a man by the name of Roy Regals picked up the ball and began to run. He looted one tackler here, another over there. Running that ball 80 yards was the best run of the day. But finally, Roy Regals was tackled by his own teammates just short of his own goal line. In all the confusion of the fumble, believe it or not, Roy Regals had run 80 yards in the wrong direction. He earned the nickname that stayed with him the rest of his life, Wrong Way Regals. <laughs> oh my goodness, amen. I wonder if God looks down at some of his people once in a while and says, wrong way, Roger, or wrong way. <laughs> You're running the wrong way, bro. <laughs> Amen. Because, you know, you know, it's not good to run the Christian life, the Christian race, the wrong way. Amen. You know, sometimes I think we do find ourselves that way. Sometimes we're running away. Sometimes we're running in the wrong direction. We're running away from commitment. We're running this way, that way. Amen. But tonight, you know, the Bible says one thing for sure. We need to run the race the right way, but run the race with endurance this evening. And so that's one of the things that the author of this book wants us to know, wants us to do. Let us run with endurance the Christian race. Amen. I want to consider a sermon I just decided, leaving it all behind. <laughs> Amen. Moving into a new year. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And that's where I'm going to stop. Leaving it all behind. Amen. I want to look at just simply three things. I want to look at the past, the present, and the future. I want to consider with you the past. And I guess when I look at the past, you could say a lot of things, but I want you to just realize, don't forget where you came from. That is so critical in the Christian life. Uh, you know, this could be true from the standpoint of our sinful lives that we left behind. You know, some people have come in, came into the kingdom and they really did know how to screw up their lives really bad. You know what I'm saying? Some people come into the kingdom, they can't even hardly say their name three times in a row. You know, people come to the kingdom, they've gotten themselves into so much sin and who knows whatever, you know. But it's amazing, God saves us, he turns us around, he delivers us cast out a few demons here and there, and just does, you know, just does a powerful job. You know, for the rest of us, we come in all jacked up as well, but maybe because of pride or we're just better at hiding it. <laughs> Amen. Because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we really don't come from the same fabric. It's just that some are better at destroying their lives than others. Amen. So don't forget where you came from, but don't forget that salvation was a time of refreshing. 
You'll hear me many times talk about that day. It was so demonstrable in my mind. It's one thing that's happened in my life that I'll never be able to get past. If I ever backslide, it'll drive me crazy for the rest of my life. It was so demonstrable what I felt and experienced in living for God. Not everybody has that. I understand it. But I did. Amen. I remembered the, just the breath of fresh air. Like I was just free to be who I really was. You know, I didn't have to play the game and get myself all, you know, loaded all the time to act like somebody. I don't know who I was acting like, but, you know, just the revelation of God that he was real. That, you know, he's not just a word that's thrown around, amen. Just the feeling of being free and unhindered. Just knowing I'm going to heaven. Praise God. In our text, there's the word therefore. And so you know the story, right? Whenever you see the word therefore, you got to ask the question, why is it there for? <laughs> or what is it there for? <laughs> therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Or another translation, New Living Translation, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And it's, it's the idea that, you know, and these are Old Testament saints. It's the idea that we have these examples of people living their faith. And in a sense, they're there to cheer us on. So we'll continue to live out our faith whether you believe they're actually there in some kind of a grandstand looking down right now going, yay, or you believe maybe that they're just examples for us to follow. Either way, you're fine. Amen. Uh, but there are examples of living the faith for you and I to look to. One man said, if you feel like you're going through the fire, look up and you'll see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego encouraging you to go on, saying, hey, I know what the fire's all about, and it's going to be okay. Here's one. He went on to say, if you feel like life is wailing on you, look for Jonah to cheer you on. <laughs> I don't know if that was a joke or if he was serious, but anyways, I put it in my sermon. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you never know these days that they're actually witnesses to God's faithfulness in, in their lives, how God was faithful to them, how they faced different things, and God was steady, he was dependable. Look at Enoch, he pleased God, amen, and he was translated. You know, sometimes you don't feel like pleasing God is a real big deal. Like, why am I going out of my way to please God? Seems like when I please God, I don't please myself. And sometimes it works out that way. But, you know, uh, you know, sometimes we don't see the benefit of pleasing God in how we think or act or, or, or live. Amen. But listen, God is taking notice. We think he's not. He is taking notice. And, if, you know, he knows your next heartbeat. He knows the next breath you're going to take. Amen. He knows your tomorrows and beyond. He knows everything about you, amen. And Enoch would tell you, he, listen, he does take notice because that's my testimony. I was pleasing God and one day I was here and one day I was there. So he's cheering us on as well, up in the stands, amen, saying, you know what, pleasing God does mean something. You've got Noah, who the Bible says had godly fear and did what was right. 
and you look around you and you see people and you say, I see a lot of people are not doing right. They live any way they want to live. Some people are rich and it doesn't mean anything to them. Oh, it does. Ask Noah. Noah will tell you the same thing. Everybody's doing what they want. See, the world loves to paint the picture that life without God is just as good or maybe even better. And they don't fear God. They live as if he doesn't exist. They're not even bothered how they live. Doesn't seem like it bothers them at all. See, but Noah knows we're living in a moral universe. And Noah will tell you it does matter how you live and it doesn't matter how other people live. There is a right and there is a wrong and there is a point in time when God's going to bring a place of judgment. He's going to bring things to task. See, no one knows that. It might not be a flood like in his day, but it's going to be everybody's going to stand before God someday and give an account, you and me as well. See, no one knows that, amen. And so, you know, what he tells us is, yes, you need to have a godly fear. There is a right and there is a wrong and you need to be concerned about doing what is right. And if you feel like it's all in vain some days, sometimes you do. Noah's up in the stands saying, no, just keep on doing what is right. Keep on doing what is right. You got Joseph who, when he was on his deathbed, he made the children of Israel. And I'm just going back into chapter 11. You can read it yourself. You got Joseph who on his deathbed told the children of Israel, when I die, when you guys leave this place, he said, take my bones with you. That was like 430 years later when they left. But you know, the whole idea here is that his hope and his faith wasn't in this world. It was not in what the world could provide or give him. Amen. He did not live for Egypt. He lived for God and the promises that God has laid up for us. That's what mattered to him. Yes, he did, uh, you know, he, he didn't sell his soul to the world. In other words, he saw the world having no eternal value. He was responsible. He was a hard worker. He, you know, when he had a job to do, he invested himself in that. But when it came right down to it, he put his stock in eternity. He had an eye for the things that were eternal. And no matter what was going around about him, obviously, you know, he's the second highest ruler in the land. His family is saved through that nation and the prosperity uh, and all these things. But you know what? When, he, when push came to shove, he said, you know, it's about, it's about what God's doing in the earth. There's things this world does not, it offers that it, it can't pay. Amen. It says it'll give you this and that, but it's only temporary. When you feel like life has so much more to offer and you want to back off, Joseph is in the stand. He's encouraging us otherwise. Say, no, keep your eyes on the eternal things. There are many witnesses in this chapter 11, these great cloud of witnesses that life didn't go all that well for them. Period. Didn't end well. They didn't receive the promises, but still they have a good testimony to the faith and the faithfulness of God. Yeah, everything didn't turn out in my life, amen, but I'll tell you one thing, God's a faithful God. His promises are true. His presence is real. His forgiveness is authentic. 
because life doesn't always work out like we dream or envision. Things happen in life. They just do. Things don't work out as we expect, but God is faithful through it all. He's steady. He's the rock that we're actually standing on. The rock will never be pulled out from underneath you. No matter what this life challenges us with. That where our faithfulness comes from, comes from the fact that God is sure, that God is faithful, that he is steady. Amen. He's truly the author of our faith. He's truly the finisher of our faith as well. And so the past does have something to offer. It has the witness of God's goodness, the witness of God's faithfulness. No matter what's going on right now, no matter even what's happened in the last year, two years, or whatever you're, you're thinking about, amen, I can tell you God has been faithful to me. He's a faithful God, amen. His salvation is real. He, if he never did another thing in my life, it wouldn't matter. I'm going to make heaven my home. Even if my legs fell off, you know <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that, but <laughs> amen. But God's good. That brings me to the present. You know, we can take things for granted. J. Stuart Holden, he's an old uh, Scottish preacher. He was actually the preacher that had the ticket to go on the Titanic. But I believe his wife got sick, and at the last minute, you know what it was like to go on the Titanic, the maiden voyage? I mean, it was just overwhelming. I mean, like to be on that Titanic. Now, we know the story, but they didn't know that story. When It was like, you'd, you'd give anything to be on the Titanic. And he had a ticket in his hand. And his wife got deathly sick, and finally he just said, you know what, I can't go. In fact, they, they actually thought he did go. There's a whole story to it, but the end of the day is he stayed behind. And, uh, well, we know the story of the Titanic, don't we? He stayed home to take care of his wife. What a guy. <laughs> ah, honey, you'll be all right. I'm going on the Titanic. No, no, he gave up the ticket. Anyways, that has nothing to do with my sermon. Amen. <laughs> That's just the guy I'm going to quote from right now. It says, many of us... He says, many of us are in peril of losing the fullness of Christian joy by our failure daily to renew our early vows of allegiance. There is perhaps no danger so subtle as that of taking things for granted in regard to our heavenward relationship. One of the major themes that you find running through the book of Hebrews is don't neglect such a great salvation that we have. Just the fact that God could get our attention long enough to turn to him is quite amazing, amen. And the fact that we could lose, lose sight of this great work that God has done and doing in our lives, amen, up to this present moment, amen. It lets us know, amen, that you have to live for God on purpose. Salvation is not something to neglect, in this present time, amen. You know, so many use grace as an excuse to live for God on autopilot or cruise control. That's not how we live for God, amen. We live for God with both hands on the steering wheel. Almost like God created was created for me and I wasn't created for God, amen. Like, like I called him and he didn't call me, you know. That's how people live. You know, relying on God doesn't mean that we don't do nothing. In our text, he says, 
a few things. He says, lay aside the weight. Lay aside the weight. Not necessarily sin, just stuff. Attitudes that hold us back. Maybe obstacles we know are slowing us down. That weight, right? Could be things we deem important or maybe of a higher priority. And it's like, yeah, but when you put that first in your life, then you're not putting God first in your life. It's slowing down. It's putting a drag on your walk with God. But then he talks about even laying aside the sin that so easily ensnares us or besets us, the King James says. And you need to see that it indeed does that very thing. Sin will trap you. It ensnares you. It's interesting. This word beset is actually made up of three words. And it means something like this. It's something that comfortably stands all around you. And it's almost like a picture of a race where you have competitors that are running with you, but they're running in such a way that you're kind of boxed in. They're surrounding you. Maybe a, a bike race would be better or a, a car race or a horse race. But that's that picture that, of, you know, lay aside the sins that so easily beset us that they can hem us in or they can, they can trap us. Amen. It's like an environment that's around us that keeps us being able to break out and run freely or, or run unhindered. That's the picture of that word. You know, it could be people that you hang around with. I know I bring it up a lot, don't I? But they're providing an atmosphere that's not healthy or profitable for you living for God. And they keep you, amen, in a sense, surrounding. You're, you're running, but you're not running freely or unhindered. They're providing an atmosphere that's holding you back. It could be an atmosphere of just, you know, uh, uh, of unbelief or doubt, amen, that's, you know, we're keeping alive, that keeps us sometimes feeling a bit hopeless, Maybe unhealthy thinking that's pulling you back. Amen. So there are things that we need to constantly lay aside. Issues that try to impede our forward progress. But then he then goes on to say, and run the race with endurance. In other words, keep running. You know, in the Air Force, when I was in the Air Force, we had to run a mile and a half every year. Now, the Air Force doesn't major in physical training okay so I don't know how many minutes we had to run a mile and a half you could probably ran it backwards you know what I mean eating ramen noodles you know and finish with enough time but anyways it was kind of pretty sad it was just what it is but you know they also gave you an option to walk it yeah I don't know if there was an age limit to that but they, you know our text says no don't do that keep running amen <laughs> Don't get to a place where walking is good enough. No, run the race with endurance. In fact, the idea is not so much that you need to keep running, but when you lay things aside, whether it be sin or the weight, you find running the race and pressing on to victory so much easier. See, that's what sometimes wears us out that we're trying to run the race, and we do. It's like, you need to run the race. Yeah, I know, you're, you're right on. But then we have these things that are putting drag on our lives or holding us back or caging us in. And it's the idea that it's not making running the race very fun. It's like running the race in combat boots, you know, instead of like, you know, little Nike sneakers and stuff. And so it just doesn't make it too much fun. So the idea to run the race with endurance is the idea of keep running is to get rid of these hindrances. 
Because the Christian life is a race. And you know, it's a race against yourself, really. It's, it's you and, and what you become in Jesus. In other words, as you keep running, you, you keep becoming. As you keep running, amen, you keep changing. You keep winning. As you keep running the race, things happen. Things change. You're not the same person. Things start happening up here and in the heart. You start seeing victories. You start seeing, all of a sudden it's like, you know, God answered my prayer. God moved in my life. God's moved in my situation. All of a sudden you just start picking those things up. And the only reason why it's happening, it's not that it, would ne- it wasn't happening. You just keep running. You don't just go, oh, stuff this. And you walk off, you know, and go get yourself a bag of Doritos and sit on the sidelines. Those poor, miserable people running the race. No, you keep running. And you change. You start becoming something that God wants you to become. And you start seeing the great victories. And then, of course, there's the future. And our text tells us the future is about looking to Jesus. He's our example of someone who's run the race with patience. He ran it with joy, our text says even though he knew where it was going to end for him. And yet, he ran it with joy. It wasn't an easy race that he ran, amen. He faced all the temptations, but without sin. And for you and I, that gives us great hope. You know what's interesting is when the Bible says that Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, I'm going to be leaving, but I'm going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. What that means is, He's the first comforter. There's something very comforting about Jesus and, and, and when you're living for him and looking to him when you're facing things because he understands everything. Not just because he's God, but he was God in the flesh. He ran the race that you and I are running right now. And even though he faced all these things, I mean, this is what our text says. Consider, verse 3, him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The message says, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. There are many faithful saints that we can use as examples, amen. But I'll just simply say this, Jesus is the greatest. He's the perfecter of our faith. And the second thing is, the Bible says that, yes, he ran the race, but then when it was all said and done, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's going someplace. So are we. I mean, okay, I'm not going to sit down on the left hand of the Father. I know the disciples tried that one, right? Remember James and John? Hey, Mom, Jesus, can my boy sit on the left and right? It's like, well, Jesus was real graceful, wasn't he? Well, it's not for me to do, okay? But, mom, and so we're not going to sit there. We understand that. We'll just, whatever we said doesn't matter, but the, the, the place is going to be the same. The place is going to be the same. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's where I'm running this race to. That's where my victory line is. When I cross that and break that tape, that's eternity for me. When I breathe my last here, 
And I don't know if we breathe up there or not. I think we do. And I breathed my first up there. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be like, you know. Do we have lungs anymore? <laughs> not too sure. We'll find out. It's really what it's all about. You know, Jesus talked about the future a lot. You think about it. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you. In my father's house are many mansions. He talked about when this life is over. He mentioned a number of times about the end that was going to come, the time of final judgment. That in a time in the future, God is going to wrap things up. That he's going, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. talking about the end of this race what he's talking about that we have before us in our text see this is why the writer is encouraging us to run run the race there's more to it than just what you're facing into today's there's a future there's a reason why i'm in the race i'm running for the prize i'm running for the reward i'm running for that finish line that's going to put me into eternity. Amen. Like we sang that song, I fly, I'm going to fly away. See, actually, I believe our text is the culmination of this entire book. So it would seem, amen. It's like saying, run the race, receive the prize. Don't, don't let anything get in the way of what God has for you. Not just today, not just what he had for us in the past, but most of, most of it what he has for us in the future. We've gone through a rough year, I know. Unsure of what is facing us in the year to come, but God is faithful. And he's just asking us to be faithful and just keep running the race. 1983, as I bring it to a close, Australia hopes it's ultra marathon. It's a 573.7 mile foot race from Sydney to Melbourne. This race takes days to run. Professionals from all over the world participate. Shortly before the race began, 61-year-old sheep herder named Cliff Young, wearing overalls and goulashes over his boots, walked up to the registration table and requested a number to enter the race. They thought he was joking. Everybody had a little bit to say about, oh, Cliff. He said, no, I'd really like to run. So they got a number, <laughs> pinned it to his bib overalls. <laughs> he walks over to the line. The gun goes off. All the, you know, the heavy-duty runners, you know, the ones that are all doing this and this, and, you know. They take off, and they're just striding. Cliff takes off. He doesn't really take off. He shuffles off, as they said. And uh, people are laughing. They just think it's a joke. They just think he's been slipped in there. But he's actually serious. Um, he didn't even know how to run. <laughs> he was often, they said he, he had an awkward, goofy-looking shuffle. In fact, at one point, one guy shouted out, get that old fool off the track. Well, five days, 14 hours, four minutes later, at 1.25 in the morning, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line of the 573.7-mile ultramarathon. He had won the race. <laughs> Hold on. He didn't win by a nose or, you know, just the guy behind him. He actually won by nine hours and 56 minutes. 
he set a new world record for the ultra marathon. It was unbelievable. He became an instant hero in Australia. The press mobbed him. They wanted to know what his running shoes were like. They rummaged through his sack. He had a sack with them, you know what I mean? Because so, I guess you, you, know, you run all day or whatever. And uh, the, he was eating, w drinking water and eating pumpkin seeds mostly. And so everybody's just, they, they don't know what's going on. Then all of a sudden, they discovered. Nobody ever told Cliff Young that when you run in the ultra marathon, you run for 18 hours straight, and then you stop and sleep for three or four hours. Cliff Young shuffled his way to victory without ever sleeping. He endured running five days, 14 hours, four minutes at the age of 61. See, that gives the meaning of running the race with endurance. If 61-year-old Cliff can do it, I don't want to hear no excuses. Let's run the Christian ultra marathon to the end. Amen. Let's bow our heads this evening. Praise God. So our heads are bowed tonight. No moving around just for a moment. The great news is Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose the third day. He's alive at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for the saints. Hallelujah. Tonight, if you're not right with God this evening, you've never come to that place where you repented. Listen, only Jesus offers eternal life. He doesn't offer you a better life. He doesn't offer you all those things, prosperity, but he does offer you forgiveness of sins and eternity in heaven. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That is Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to join the church or say a pledge. What I'm asking you to do is check your heart. Are you right with God? Have you ever come to a place where you've repented of your sins and turned from your sin this evening? Because that's what you have to do. The Bible says every man has to repent. First words out of Jesus' mouth, repent therefore for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he comes with this message, but it's more than a message. He gave his life. He didn't come with a new doctrine. He gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins that through that forgiveness we would have life and that evermore, that we would have a relationship with the living God this evening. Do you have that tonight? I'm not asking you if you go to church. I'm not even asking you if you believe in God or if you're a good person. I'm asking you tonight, are you born again? Are you saved? It's not the same thing as being a good person. It's a supernatural work of God. When you surrender, say, Jesus I come to you a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. If you're here tonight and you've never done that, but God's dealing with your heart this evening, I want you just to respond with an uplifted hand. Say, Pastor, will you pray for me tonight? I need Jesus. Anyone at all? Just lift a hand so I can see it. Put it right back down. I need prayer tonight. I've never asked Jesus Christ in my life before. But tonight I want to get saved. Hallelujah. Maybe you're backslidden, you're away from God. And you say, you know what, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ tonight. Here's my hand, will you pray with me? Anyone at all, I want to pray with you tonight. Unsaved or backslidden, 
uplifted hand this evening. Christian, tonight, leaving it all behind us, amen. But, you know, even more seriously, run the race with endurance that is set before us. He takes the illustration of saints, faithful saints, that not everything went their way, not everything worked out. That wouldn't be reality. The Bible's so honest, so transparent. Yeah, it worked out for a lot of folks, but it didn't work out for everyone. But you know what? They have a testimony that God is good, that God is faithful, and that they really put their faith in in, Jesus, you know, in God, amen, and, and eternity. And with what revelation they had, amen, they make it into the pages of the Bible. We know people as well have a testimony of the goodness of God in their lives. Talks about the present, to run the race with endurance, let it lay aside the weight and the sin those things that would hinder us, amen. Those things that just make running hard, just make running tough. They make running like you don't want to run anymore. But if you'll lay those things aside, that will totally change everything. You'll see victories and deliverances. You'll see change and transformation. You'll see things and you'll continue. You know, it's like runners, they run and all of a sudden they say they get like a second wind or they get this, something happens and it's like they love running after miles of running and I honestly haven't gotten there, amen, but I can tell you it's true in the Christian life is you, you love living for God. And of course, the future, you know where you're going, amen. The finish line is eternity. The finish line is when I step into eternity with to be with Jesus. People are doing it all the time. We just talked about one this evening and stepped into eternity to be with Jesus, amen. That can happen to any one of us, amen. But that is the end of this race. That's the future. It's worth living for. It's worth running for, amen, with endurance. Amen. Let's stand this evening. I want to open the altars tonight for you to come and pray. Maybe God is... Speaking to you tonight, you come, lay hold of God. Let him help you tonight, amen. These altars is where we meet with God. It's just that simple. With whatever you talk to God about, whatever he's talking to you about, you lay it before God to see me, amen.